Hi there, friends. This is Pastor Rivero from Liberty Baptist Church, and I'm excited to let you know that our church is now live streaming our services. So you can check it out on mylibertybaptist.org or on YouTube. Our services are at 11 a.m. on Sunday, 5 p.m. on Sunday, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, all Eastern time. But in the meantime, enjoy this sermon podcast here from Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Well, I believe I mentioned already that we are in 1 Corinthians and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to preach and teach this evening over the Lord's Supper. And I do so about every few years. And the reason I do so is because as new people come, we need to go over why we have the Lord's Supper as those who are saved and those who are joining our church. And also, we always need to be reminded our need for the Lord's Supper and our need of why we do the Lord's Supper as we do. Uh, Many of you grew up in a high church tradition, much like I did, and where I was confirmed as a Lutheran. And every other week we took of the Lord's Supper. We took of communion, as it was called there. Some of you would have called it the Eucharist, although that title is certainly not found in Scripture. Uh, But we took of very real wine, and we took of what I would call styrofoam discs, at least that's what it tasted like, uh, of, of bread that we would take every couple of weeks. And as we did so, as Lutherans, we believed that we were taking of the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus Christ. That when the pastor prayed over the elements that they became body and blood of Christ, as well as having the bread and the wine there as well. If you come from the Catholic tradition, which is called transubstantiation, uh, it means that when the priest blesses the wine and the bread, that the wine and the bread no longer exist. And by the way, you can look this up in uh, Catholic literature. This is not me saying this. This is what they teach, that the bread and the wine no longer exist, that they have now mystically become exclusively the body and blood of Christ. And so many of us grew up in traditions maybe very similar to this, where we were taught unscriptural teachings about the Lord's Supper. And so because of that, it's important, I feel, for us to sharpen ourselves every few years to make sure that we understand as we have this bread and as we have this juice that is before us this evening, we explain why we do what we do as Bible believers. And so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to kind of turn throughout the chapter. So I'll have you remain seated again this evening. Boy, I've given you the day off. What a guy. Let me tell you, uh, you don't have to stand again tonight. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 as our launching off point, And we'll begin in verse number one, where it says this, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul is very bold in what he says here, but I remind you, he says this by the inspiration of God. He says, follow me, but he says, as I follow Christ. And he continues and he says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And so Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, I have delivered ordinances for you and I want you to keep these ordinances. And we find through the teaching of the word of God that the ordinances that are found are the Lord's Supper and baptism, that they're given to the church to be able to administer within the church body. We do not call them sacraments. We call them ordinances. Sacraments gives the connotation that there is saving grace that is imparted through that tradition. But yet we see from the word of God, and by that word ordinance literally means an established rite or a ceremony. It just means it's something that we do to remind us of what God has done for us. It's something that we do to remind us what God has done for us. 
we're baptized to remind us that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was done for us and for our salvation. And we are reminded tonight through the bread and through the juice of the precious body and the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, if it's just a memorial, if it's just a remembrance, then it's not as special. And the answer to that is, oh my, it's very special. Not because of the bread and not because of the juice, but because of what it represents and what it brings to mind to us this evening. Matthew chapter 26, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 11, but would you turn to Matthew chapter 26 as we see the Last Supper, as it's often called, which is, I believe, the first church gathering together. I believe the church existing with Christ as the head here before he is uh, buried, uh, dead, uh, buried and resurrected. But uh, Matthew chapter 26, and may I remind you here that this is the Passover feast that is being celebrated. And I think that's important. And there's an element of that that will be important for us here tonight as well. But as they're celebrating that Passover feast, it says in Matthew chapter 26, and then in verse 26, it says, once I get there, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples said, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so while this message tonight is in no way exhaustive, I do want us to prepare ourselves for the understanding of what we're about to do, but also to prepare our hearts to make sure that we are ready for taking of the Lord's Supper this evening. So that being said, I just want to pray quickly and ask the Lord to bless and to help our comprehension and my, uh, my presentation of this tonight, and then uh, ask the Lord's help with it tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just be with us this evening. Help my tongue as I preach this evening to give what is true and right from the Word of God. Help with the understanding of those who are here, the enlightening through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you pray that you would prepare our hearts for that which is to come tonight and for why it is so important. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at some of the questions that we have for the Lord's Supper tonight, first of all, we ask this question, what is it? What is it? What exactly is the Lord's Supper? Now, the Bible terms this ordinance as either the Lord's Supper or communion or even the Lord's table. You can go into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you find that these are some of the titles that are used. You can call these the, uh, names, I believe, interchangeably. We do not use the term Eucharist because that is Catholic in nature and has a different connotation of what would take place. But the Bible itself says this is the Lord's Supper or it's the Lord's table or it's communion, talking about the communion that we share with Jesus Christ during this time and really the communion of close fellowship that we have with each other during this time as well. And so as we look at this, we remind ourselves not of what it is, but we actually start with this, what isn't it? And I've already alluded to that this evening. And some would point to the body and blood being presented uh, as being the actual body and blood of Christ. But I would point you to what we just read in Matthew chapter number 26, where he says this, this do in remembrance of me. We could say that this is a memorial that we are going to partake in this evening. And it is something uh, that we are to take part of. And Jesus was very often uh, using comparisons as a way to help people understand certain things. Like Jesus made observations, comparisons, such as I am the true vine. No one thought that he was a vine. 
Jesus said, I am the door. No one had any confusion of what he meant by that in the sense that maybe someone was confused that he was actually a door. Nobody would have thought that. I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. And on and on it goes. And so when he says, this is my body and this is my blood to be done in remembrance of me, he's trying to point across that there is a connection that is being made, but it was not his literal body, nor is it his literal blood. By the way, nowhere in scriptures do we see that salvation is given through the Lord's Supper or that saving grace is imparted to one by taking the Lord's Supper. But this is what's taught by many mainline denominations today, that saving grace is imparted to you if you are to take of the Lord's Supper. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 quickly, and I want us to look at verse number 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23. We'll say it's good to be back in the pulpit Monday or morning and evening Monday. I'm going to do this on Monday too, apparently. But no, morning and evening. And I'm thankful for those who have filled in the last few weeks and even when we had to cancel. I'm thankful for the good spirit with that. But at the same time, it is a blessing to be in the pulpit all day today. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23 says this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, which when he had supped, saying, The cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread, pay attention to this, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So we see that what we are doing is in remembrance and it's showing the death of Jesus Christ. And we're to continue to do it, well, until Jesus comes back. And he is coming back someday. And so we're going to continue to do so as such. There are two elements that are part of the Lord's Supper. And that is the bread and that is the cup. Now, we would start with the cup this evening by saying this. You've mentioned or you've heard me mention rather that we use juice here at Liberty Baptist Church. And I believe that using unfermented grape juice is the proper method of being able to take the Lord's Supper. You'll remember that when we were just reading just a few moments ago that it mentions that in the cup was the fruit of the vine. And that to me uh, specifies the fact that what was there was that which was unfermented, that was fresh from the grape. Uh, remember, this is symbol symbolic of what we are doing tonight. And in the same way, we'll find out in just a moment that the bread is unleavened. Remember, to have a leavening agent is to make bread kind of light and fluffy like we all like it. This bread isn't like that tonight. And the reason why is because bread with leaven would be a picture of sin. All throughout the Word of God, we see that leaven is a picture of sin. And we don't want to give the connotation that the body of Christ was sinful flesh. We know that when he walked on this earth, he never partook in one sin whatsoever, did he? If he had, what would have happened? Well, we couldn't be saved if he had sinned during this life. And so we have unleavened bread, not just because they used it at the Passover, but because it symbolizes his sinless, perfect body, which was broken for us. And I believe he would have taken a full piece of matzah, a large piece, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, would have broke it to help illustrate to them exactly what would happen to his body just hours after what we saw in the book of Matthew chapter number 26. But it's in the same way we think of the cup and we realize that any type of fermentation of the juice would represent some kind of degradation of his blood. It would, it would represent that it had become something less than pure. 
And all throughout the word of God, we see a connotation with wine that it's something that we need to, as believers, avoid and that it can cause great difficulties for those who the Bible literally calls wine bibbers, those who are constantly uh, at the table and so constantly drinking the wine. And so the purity of the elements are symbolic of the purity of Jesus Christ. I've mentioned before that when I was a Lutheran that uh, I was part as a teenager of a contemporary worship service uh, focus group. Now I'll tell you, when you have to worship using a focus group, that ought to tell you there's a problem. But they took different people from different age groups all throughout the church and put us together in a room and they said something like this, what are you looking for in a church service? And we literally put together a church service using what the people in the focus group thought was a good idea. And someone said, you know, we should change how we do the Lord's Supper. And of course, we used the, the unleavened bread, those little discs that I think you can get from a Christian bookstore or something like that, and, and little uh, 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 cups of Mogan David wine. And uh, I remember someone said, you know, we should get like a loaf of bread and have someone break the loaf of bread and use that. And I didn't know the Lord at this time. I was unsaved. And I thought, there's something that's just very strange about this, that we would take things that are of the Lord and just kind of make them into whatever we want them to be. There was something that didn't seem right about that. And literally someone would go to the grocery store and they would put a little slice in a loaf of deli bread or bakery bread and then the pastor would open it up and take of the little bits of the of the bread that was inside, pull it out and give it to someone. Well, what is that leavened bread representing? It's representing the sinful nature of Christ, which is exactly opposite of who he was. It's an abomination. It's blasphemous, to be quite honest with you. And so because of that, we symbolize Jesus's purity through the unleavened bread and through the pure grape juice. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so this is the what is it? What is the Lord's Supper? But then we ask ourselves this, why take the Lord's Supper? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? And there's many reasons for why we take the Lord's Supper. I would suggest to you tonight that it's a reminder of the price that was paid for our sin. Listen, salvation was free and is free, but that doesn't mean it comes without cost. A very high cost was, pray, was paid for our salvation. That was the blood of Jesus Christ. I always think of at the Boston Public Library when I go in, there's a sign that uh, is very large and it says free for all. Free for all, not like a free for all, but free for all. And the idea is that when you go in there, what is there is free for anyone who comes. But yet at the same time, those books weren't free. Someone had to pay for it. Someone has to sustain what's going on there. There has to be donors. There has to be benefactors. There has to be tax dollars that go in to keep that institution funded. But yet it's free for those who come and receive. And isn't salvation the same way in the sense that it's free for all who come, who come to the fountain of life freely, come and drink, Jesus says. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that it came without cost. Oh, no. And it wasn't from a benefactor and this wasn't from a donor. And it certainly wasn't from a government entity. It was for the only one who could pay the price. And that was Jesus Christ. And so when we come across this this evening, we're reminded of the very high price that was paid because of my sinfulness. And because of your sinfulness. It's a very sobering thought. First Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We were healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded of this this evening. 
when we leave the Lord's Supper, and this is what we do at Liberty Baptist Church philosophically, we don't leave here like we do after other services. Other services we leave and, well, we talk and we gab and, you know, we fellowship with one another. I'll be honest with you, I enjoy that. I enjoy that at Liberty Baptist Church, people don't usually feel compelled to run right out the door after church. People want to talk and people want to have that Christian fellowship with one another. I love it. But I will tell you that on a night like tonight, that's not usually the typical way that we depart. We typically just leave and, well, we go home. There's a few people that have to do ministries after church that will do what they need to do. But even then, it's really hard to step away from the Lord's table and say, hey, what's on TV tonight? And I'm not trying to be flippant about what I'm saying. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm saying it's hard to really go back to these menial things, these temporary things that we deal with when our minds are so focused on what Jesus Christ did for us. And so what I love about the Lord's Supper is it just laser focuses our mind on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And really, it's the reminder of the price that was paid for our sin, the reminder of Christ's sacrificial death and saying that. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, that ye may uh, uh, be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And Christ is compared to our, our Passover, which we'll look at again in a little bit. But it says, Purge out that old leaven, which also reminds me not just of Christ's sacrificial death, but also that it's a time for us to examine our lives as well. The Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination for us to make sure that we are right with the Lord tonight. In fact, if you go in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, continue on in verse number 27, pick up where we left off where it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, I've had some people say to me in the past, Pastor, I don't believe I can take of the Lord's Supper because I'm unworthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me. And certainly we'd all have to admit, are any of us worthy of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? Are any of us worthy of the mercy of which he has lavished upon us or his grace? None of us are worthy. But if that was what that meant, that would mean no one would ever be able to take the Lord's Supper ever. So obviously that's not what's being said here. But what is saying, I believe, is helped us to us by the connection with verse number 28, where it says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The Bible tells us that when we go to the Lord's table, as best as we are able, we go with clean hands and a clean heart. That we have made sure we have confessed our sins before the Lord. First John chapter 1, that we know that we are in fellowship with him as we should. I'll tell you this, if I had something wrong with my parents, I better get it right before I went to the table. If I went to the table without getting it right, they usually probably have a few words for me. Say, Pastor, do you have any personal testimony about that? I don't have time for that tonight. But I would tell you, we probably all have a few occasions in our life where you knew there were some things you had to get right before you went to the table. And our Lord beckons us to come, but at the same time, He wants us to come worthily, meaning this, that He wants us to come clean. Now, if we are not clean, this is what He says. Come cleanse yourself, repent and get things right. And then you can come to the table. I've heard people say, pastor, I'm not right with the Lord. And so I'm not going to go to the Lord's table. And they say that usually as a way to try to be humble. I would say maybe that they're presenting themselves in that way. You know, I'm not right with the Lord. And so I can't take of the Lord's table tonight. I would submit to you that not only is that not humble, but it's actually quite rebellious. You say, why is that? Because there could be a person who knows they're not right with the Lord and would rather not take of the Lord's Supper 
than to be able to get that right. You say, well, well, pastor, what if I have to get in touch with someone and I have to make restitution or I have to make things right? Well, perhaps that is necessary. That's something that you might feel that you need to do. But at the same time, you get that right with the Lord before the Lord's Supper. And then when you're done at the table, what should you do? Go to that other person and make it right with them. Make sure you're right with the Lord first. But one of the things about going to the Lord's table is that we have that clock going off in our mind. You know, the Lord tables this week. The Lord's Supper's coming up in a few days. And there might be some hidden sin in our life or sin that we're harboring that we're reminded before we go to the table, we need to make sure that we get that right. And my wife has testimony and uh, of a time in her life where at the Lord's Supper, someone came to her and wanted to make something right with her and what a blessing that was. And I grew up with a pastor, Brother Turner, who was very clear before he, pre he preached before we went to the Lord's table to make sure that we knew that we were right with the Lord and with one another before the Lord's table. And I will say that if you have secret sin in your life or that if you are not living right before the Lord or you know uh, that there, this is the case, then make that right. Now, if you're living in sin and you are being rebellious before the Lord and there are those maybe who uh, who in life have, have been a harboring sin or fornication, adultery, those kind of things, uh, listen, you, you may need to stay away from the table and get those things right first. I understand that. But I'm talking about the fact that in our lives that if we've done wrong to someone or we have something that needs to be confessed in general, we need to get those things right. Uh, and we'll talk more about that thought in just a second. So what is the Lord's table and why take the Lord's Supper? And then we also see this, where should we take the Lord's Supper? Where should we take it? Well, that part is easy in some ways tonight because the answer is, well, here. We're here tonight, aren't we? The elements are here and we're preparing ourselves tonight. But I want to remind you that much of what we know about the Lord's Supper comes from either Jesus with the disciples hours before his betrayal and death on the cross and from 1 Corinthians. Because Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. I know I mentioned this a lot, and so I have to mention it again tonight, though, anyway, is that the church at Corinth was a messed up church. They had so much sin and they had so much rot that was inside of them. They were fighting with each other. There was open sexual immorality that the church was celebrating. There was literally a man, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, there was a, a man uh, who was having a uh, sexual relationship with his stepmother. And not only was that happening, but the church had no problem with it. They knew it, and it was almost as if they were having the thought process of, well, aren't we open-minded? Aren't we tolerant? And Paul, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you're doing this the wrong way. And this man needs to be removed from the church assembly, not to be excommunicated. I think some of you heard that term before, not to be shunned as another term that was given, but so that he would get himself right before the Lord. So guess what? He could be restored to the body in joy, not to be shunned and to make felt like less than, well, you can never, you're, you're never be part of this church. We don't want any part of you. It's like our hearts are broken, but we can't have you be part of our church right now because we have to be clean before the Lord but we want you to get right. And we want you to know the minute that you get right or the minute that you need help getting right, we're here to help you. You know what 2 Corinthians tells us? Paul follows up with that same church and he says this, I've heard that that man has repented and I want you to restore him. We don't want him to be overcome with sorrow. We want him to know the joy of the Lord once again. And so this is a church that had some very great and grave problems. And so he has to go over some of these issues. By the way, one of their problems was when they went to the Lord's Supper, they weren't really having the Lord's Supper. They were having a buffet. 
they were eating what would some call a, a love feast that they were just getting together and they were all bringing their own dishes and they were all enjoying themselves. And I love a good buffet as much as anybody. And I love a good church potluck as much as anybody. But I will say this, there's a big difference in having a nice meal at the restaurant or going to the Golden Corral or having a church potluck and having the Lord's Supper. There's a big difference and we can't make sure, we must make sure that we don't uh, uh, confuse those issues whatsoever. First uh, Corinthians chapter number one and verse number two says, this epistle was being written to the church at Corinth. And so understanding that, we see that everything we read in this text comes from the thought process of this is who this letter is being written to. It's being written to a local church. It's being written to one church. And as such, we must look at it in the same way to make sure we're doing what Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was telling the church at Corinth to do. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we do it together as a church. This is what Paul's instructions were. In fact, look at chapter 11, look at verse number 17. It says this, um, I'm, in, I'm in the wrong chapter there, hold on. No, it's not verse number 70, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, verse number 18, that's the problem. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, so what is being said about the Lord's Supper? When is it to be had? When you come together as a church, because it says, well, there's divisions that come and heresies and they're not taking of the Lord's Supper. That's in verse number 20. Verse uh, number 20 says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he's saying, well, you've done it before is wrong, but you're coming together. But continue on, verse number 33, it says this, therefore, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. Verse number 34, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, and ye not, come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order. It says, together, when you come together, when you're as a church, when you come into one place, uh, we see this over and over again. So the Lord's Supper is this, is that it's something that we do together as a church. You say, why is this important? Well, there are some churches and there's some denominations that celebrate what's called cleric communion, meaning this, that if you're not able to come to church, that the pastor can come to your house and give you communion on your own. Now, we don't do that. And the reason why is because I believe that everywhere we see the Lord's Supper, whether it's here in 1 Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth, or Jesus, his disciples, who constituted the first church together, what are they doing? They are taking the Lord's Supper together as a church. And so I would not go to a house of a shut-in and offer the Lord's Supper on my own. That's not something that I believe is appropriate for me to do. And by the way, that shouldn't cause us great concern, but because we're not withholding saving grace from that person. Do you know why those churches do that? Because they're afraid that person will not get the saving grace that they need if the pastor or priest withholds of that Lord's Supper. And they actually make communion kits that pastors can take that have a little piece of bread that you tear open the paper and you give them the bread and a little piece, of, a little cup of juice that they literally tear off, tear off the label from the top of the cup and let them take together. But we don't need to do that. Why? Because we are not believing and we see the scriptures do not teach that saving grace is imparted through that. So what do we do? We do it together as a church so we all can remember what God has done for us and so we can make sure we're right with each other. Because we got to make sure as we are as a church together that we are right with one another. It is so vitally important as we go and fight the forces of Satan that are out there that we're not fighting each other at the same time. We expect fighting and infighting from the world. It should not be found in the church. You say, well, I've got a problem with someone in this church. Well, 
That may be the case, and I don't want to diminish that, but we don't handle this like the world does. We don't go out in the alley. Uh, we don't go and post something online and try to uh, tear someone down. No, we go to that person in a Matthew chapter 18 style and say, uh, you have offended me, and this is why, and I want to get this right with you tonight. And I'm telling you this not because I want to have a struggle session and not because I just want to, I want to vent my, my soul to you and just kind of lay it all at your feet. I say this because I want to get right with you, and I want you to be right with me. And that's what believers do. And that's what Christians do. And the Lord's Supper helps us to be able to do that together as a church. And so we see these questions, but I also ask this question, when? When do we have the Lord's Supper? Now, I get this question all the time. It's one of the first questions people ask when they become members of Liberty Baptist Church. When do you take the Lord's Supper? And I'm sure you've been to many different churches, or it's likely you've been to other churches that have many different views on this. There are some churches that have it every week. And I'm talking about independent Baptist churches. There's some churches that will do it once a month, maybe the first Sunday of the month or the last Sunday of the month. There's some churches that will do it quarterly. Our church has it usually around three times a year on a Sunday night and then typically the Tuesday before Resurrection Sunday, Easter as well. And I, I do it as the Lord uh, gives uh, liberty for me and something that I pray about and ask the Lord to do. You say, all right, pastor, well, I know which one you believe in because it's the one that you do and, and those other ways are wrong, right? And the answer is no. That's not true. It's what we do at Liberty Baptist Church because it's what I feel the Lord has led me to do. But the Bible does not say that we have to do it at a certain frequency. Well, the Bible says you have to do it often. But that's actually not what it says. Let's go back once again and look at what it says in verse number 25 and 26. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, after the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, show the Lord's death till he come. What it's saying is as often as you do it, this is what the symbolism of this ordinance is. It does not say do it often. It says as often as you do it. There is a difference between the two. Now, I have always felt that if we were to do it weekly as a church or even every other week, it does lose some of the uniqueness and the specialness. And maybe my thought process from that comes from being a Lutheran, taking it every other week. And if that's the case, then I would have to plead guilty to that. But I say to you tonight that I, it, whether a church takes it weekly or biweekly or quarterly or as oft as we do at Liberty Baptist Church, that it's for that church assembly to decide on their own how to be able to do it. But when they do it, they must do it the right way. And so here at Liberty Baptist Church, we do it in this way, where probably three or four times a year we take of the Lord's Supper. But at the same time, we do not begrudge those who have it at a different frequency or think that we do it the right way and they do it the wrong way. We just want to do it the Bible way, which means as often as we do it, let's do it right. As often as we do it, let's come before the Lord with a right heart. And that's what we see here. And so we see when do we take the Lord's Supper. But then we also see this, who takes the Lord's Supper? Who takes of the Lord's Supper? You know, there are three main thoughts on whether the church or when they observe the Lord's Supper of how they observe the Supper. There's the open method of observing the Lord's Supper, which means this. Anyone can partake of the Lord's Supper. That if anyone comes to church, that anyone is eligible to partake of the Lord's Supper. And that uh, is one line of thought. There is close communion when it comes to the Lord's Supper. There's open communion and close communion. And close communion means this. Typically, any member of the same denomination would be able to take of the Lord's Supper. If, as long as you're of the same denomination, you can partake. 
growing up in the Lutheran Church. If you were part of the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church, you couldn't be part of the ELCA, you couldn't be part of the Wisconsin Synod. If you were part of the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church, you were allowed to take of their type of what they called the Lord's Supper. And that would be what's called close communion, that you could be kept within the same group. But there's also closed communion, and we find this in the Word of God as well. Uh, we find this, uh, the, rather, but I think we find it in the Word of God, which means this, any member of the church is able to partake, but it is restricted to those who are part of that individual church. Now, I'll say before I get too far into this, that I know very, very fine churches and very, very fine pastors who have different opinions on this issue. And I don't take any kind of umbrage with them, and they have to be able to go before the Lord to see what they believe the scriptures say. And I know that you might come, and many members have come to me in the past and have said, well, I've seen this differently, or I participated in this differently before than how you are saying tonight, uh, or how you have explained to me before. And I would say this again, as I mentioned this morning about a point of contention. This is not a point of contention for me and any other uh, Bible believer, or even maybe those who are part of our church that have come from a different way of doing it. But I, as a pastor, have to look at what I believe the Bible says, and then with a right conscience before the Lord, do that accordingly. But I will say that we do so not to be exclusive, as if we are the only ones who should be able to because we think we're the best. It's not that at all. In fact, I mentioned this morning of our desire for all who are believers and who are scripturally baptized. If the Lord's led you to be a member of this church, we want you to be part of this church. This is not an exclusive club. Well, you're not good enough for us. Well, if that was the case, I wouldn't be here because I wouldn't be good enough for us, all things considered. Uh, that's not the case at all. And maybe even tonight, the Lord's laid upon your heart. You've been praying for a while to become a member of Liberty Baptist Church. You say, well, pastor, I mean, could I join the church tonight and take of the Lord's Supper? Well, I mean, if that's something you've been praying about, something we've talked about already, then I will have a break in between services. I'd love to be able to talk to you and invite you to join us for the Lord's Supper this evening. And I would certainly be, I would rejoice to do that because it's not meant to be exclusive in the sense that, well, it's just us four and no more that are going to take of the Lord's Supper when we're here. But at the same time, I believe it must be held as we see the church at Corinth, as we see the teaching of Paul to the church of Corinth, and we see in the word of God. And so there are several reasons I believe that the uh, Lord's Supper is to be closed. First of all, I mentioned a little while ago that 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 7 says that Christ is our Passover. You say, Pastor, are you saying we're going to have the Passover tonight? No, no, no. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we don't have to celebrate the Passover. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad that you don't have to kill a lamb and put his blood around the doorposts of your house once a year? I thank the Lord for that. And those of us who rent, we're really glad that we don't have to deal with that because it might be something on our lease that wouldn't work very well. But I, I see this being the case tonight that the Passover, if you're to go back, I don't have time to do this tonight. You can do this study on your own if you'd like to later. That when you go to the Passover back in the book of Exodus, and then as it's taught later on, that every house celebrated the Passover on their own. Whoever was in your house, whether it was of your house or of your servants, they all celebrated the Lord's Supper within that one house, or rather the Passover, within that house that you didn't go from house to house and celebrate the Passover from house to house. And the reason why, because it was something that was to be done together as a family. And so this is not restrictive in the sense of, are you trying to divide the family of God by doing this, Pastor, to say, well, that you do it here and they do it there and this other church does it here? No, no, we're saying this. If we're all Bible believers, we do it as a family, but we all do it for the same reason. And we all do it with the same motive and with the same heart. And so because of that, that is the what I see as the very basis, Christ being our Passover, 
we celebrate in the same vein, the same fashion. There are some similarities, and we see that, well, we gather together and do so as a family. And of course, the first Lord's Supper was held by a local church, and that was because there was only one. It was Jesus Christ and his disciples. So, of course, that's probably not the strongest argument for that. It already existed. It was pre-existing at that time. But I would say in the context of everything we read here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is giving one church instructions and how they are to, on their own, hold the Lord's Supper. And so whenever we see the Lord's Supper, we see it being one group gathering together, whether it's in the, the end of the Gospels or it's here in 1 Corinthians. This is what you do. You do it together as a family when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. But there's also a practical aspect to this as well. There are dangerous consequences for those who take of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Do you remember we saw that just a few minutes ago? That we are not to come to the Lord's Supper unworthily? Remember that church of Corinth? There was a lot of them that were unworthy. Not because, again, because they were not good enough, but because they were harboring secret sin and still going to the Lord's table. Do you know there were consequences for that? To the people who partook and to the church that administered to those who should not have been partaking. Now, we're to examine ourselves. Remember that verse number 28. By the way, I'm not examining you before you go to the Lord's table. It's not my job to give you an examination, a test before you come. This is between you and the Lord to do so. But look at verse 29, continuing that thought. For he that drinketh, eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at his home. That you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. It was several years ago that we were celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it was uh, a visitor that came in that night. And I won't go too deep into the details, and certainly uh, now knowing that we're broadcasting online, I definitely won't go into the details very much. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, because that person was not part of our church, we did what we do at the end of the service, and we say, if you're a member, and by the way, we don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want to make you feel, again, less than. We don't want you to feel like you're, un you're unworthy of the Lord's Supper. It's just, well, this is what we do as a family. And so, and we would love for you to be part of the family. We'd love to, not the family of God, if you're saved, you're part of the family of God. I'm talking about the family of Liberty Baptist Church. And so uh, this person I found out not too long later that had visited that night was visiting our church because they were under church discipline from another church. They had been involved in some very deep immorality. And because of that, they were asked not to go to that church so that they could get right. And this person, instead of getting right, had decided to continue a streak of rebelliousness. And because that was going to church to church and our church was the stop that night. Now, let me ask you this. If that person who was not part of our church family had partaken of the Lord's Supper at our church, this Bible says that there would be some very real consequences for that person and for us as a church body as well. And so because of the things that we take care of together as a family, it's something that I believe as a leader of this church is just so vitally important. You say, well, pastor, I mean, it, 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 you, you can't really mean that the people that were sick and maybe even people that died because they look, listen, when you rebel against the Lord, I'm not talking about transgressing against the Lord you didn't know. I'm talking about when you say, Lord, I know and I don't care. There's some very deep repercussions. 
We see in the Old Testament, there was someone that was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. They knew better because they just heard the voice of God not many days before saying, don't do that. And they said, I'm going to go out and gather sticks anyway. And God says, they'll die. Now, I know we don't live in the Old Testament. But what I'm saying is God takes rebellion seriously. By the way, he says it's more sinful than witchcraft. That's First Samuel. You can go back and look at that. And so because of that, I feel it's so important for us as a church body to be able to take it together so that as best as we know how, again, not inspecting everybody individually, not trying to be fruit inspectors, trying to see, well, let's see what you're doing. Let's see what you're doing. Uh, not checking your email accounts, not checking your social media, not trying to go through your car when you got here or anything like that. Listen, I don't have time. I don't have time for that kind of stuff. And I don't, I don't want to do that stuff. But I want to do this. When we go to the Lord's table, as best as we know how as a church, we want to be right. So we have the Lord's blessings upon us and so that they would help us. Listen, this is not the actual body and blood of Christ but that doesn't mean it's a serious thing because the fact that it symbolizes that tells us that we must handle it in a way that is both reverent and careful. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.